Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and let's discuss today literacy, learning, great teaching, and an organization that promotes it by collaboration. It's called the Pearson Foundation, and they're responsible for numerous nationwide programs from Read for the Record to the We Give Books campaign. And who better to share more about the fine work towards educational growth than with Susan Sclafani, Vice President of Programs at the Pearson Foundation. Welcome to the EdCast. Thank you. Susan, I guess you're in town by invitation of the Technology Innovation and Education Program at the Harvard Ed School, and I'm curious what lessons and ideas you brought to that innovative cohort yesterday during your seminar. I was here to discuss a new project that the Pearson Foundation has undertaken, which is to develop a digital curriculum that's aligned to the Common Core State Standards. These new standards have been adopted by 46 states, and they go much farther and deeper into content than has happened in the past. The purpose of this is to really set a rigorous standard across the nation that states can agree on so that they don't play the games that they've played over the last decade of we have to look good and if other states have easier tests it'll look like their students are doing better than our students so we better lower our standard so our scores look good. Instead what we're saying is no let's everyone agree that those standards are not getting American students where they need to be certainly not for the demands of this century and certainly not in comparison with other countries across the world. What is the process of putting together a, a giant initiative like this? I mean, I'm curious, always from soup to nuts, how does something like this, whose idea is it, and then what are the, what's the sort of the extent of the collaborations, the people, the projects that need to all get together to make this a reality? The idea came from uh, someone who has been working in the field of education, a friend of mine who came to me and said, Susan, I've got this idea, let's see what we can do with it, to recognize that the students who are most in danger it, with these new higher standards are those that haven't met the current standards. And the question then becomes, how can you provide the scaffolding that they need, and frankly, that their teachers need, to get all students to these new high levels. So this is a departure for the foundation to create its own product. Usually it is uh, either a funder of other projects or it is the, the organizer but not the producer. Like of. with Jumpstart's Read for yes, the Record. exactly. And so this was an opportunity to bring people together from across the country and actually, we have advisory groups in both English language arts and math, and our math advisory group is an international one because that is our major concern. On PISA, we're 29th out of 33 members of OECD in mathematics, and so we wanted to know what the high-performing countries were doing. So we have people from Singapore, from Japan, from uh, the Netherlands, which always does very well in mathematics, from England that works on formative assessment issues, as well as people from Japan and the United States who are, are working on these issues. So that was part of it, is how do we bring the best minds to bear on this? In English language arts, it's the people who have been kind of the, the names in the field, from Catherine Snow, who's on our advisory committee, to Steve Graham, who works on issues of access for students with disabilities and English language learners to professors at various universities who have been working on the issues, to curriculum developers who have been working either for companies or for school districts or for states 
in the past. So we've got all of those people, then we added technology people because if it's going to be digital, you need a platform. You need to produce for a digital environment, which is very different from a textbook environment. So we've gathered a, a team. It's a virtual team in many regards. We're all across the country. And we have a leadership team that gets together about monthly in person to talk through progress issues and challenges that we're facing. Maybe the answer to this is obvious, but I'm just curious, your answer to it. Uh, the difference between a digital environment and, and a textbook environment, what were some of the challenges of adjusting to that? Well, actually, it, it was the reason we wanted to do digital is that there it's so much easier to provide the scaffolding so that if a student is reading a passage and doesn't understand a word, all they have to do is click on it and up comes a definition. Uh, it can read the text to a student who's having difficulty either because of visual uh, disabilities or because it's not their home language and so hearing it is easier to understand than reading it, or it's uh, students who, who just need a nudge to help them get started, uh, who need some metacognitive questioning, you know, that you reach this point and it suddenly up will pop a question. How does this paragraph fit with what you've been reading in the prior section? Why is the author chosen to, to stop here and reflect on this? So that, again, you're trying to provide strategies for students to become expert readers. Curious, what was the reaction from both the TIE cohort yesterday and then also the, the other people that you're sharing this, this project with? Are, are they must be loving it. They are. Uh, we've talked with teachers about it. We've talked with school districts and the group here. It's a very exciting project because suddenly you can do those things that, frankly, technology has been promising us for 30 years, this ability to personalize, to enable students to kind of chart their own path through a section, and now they've got the tools with which to do it. Now the tools and the progress of the rollout, is it is it widely available? Is it is this something that's going to be staged out? Uh, where is it at in the process? It's a three-year development timeline, and as of December of 2013, we will have completed uh, K-12 English Language Arts, K-11 Mathematics. We'll then come back and work on an advanced sequence from 9 through 11 for students who are interested in STEM careers that gets them ready for calculus by, high, by the senior year of high school. So it's, it's a fast development process, and that's why we've got this large team across the country working on it. But that gives us an opportunity in the spring of the year to do some really good pilots and make sure that what we're doing is working in the way. The basis, the research base for it is standards-based learning. So things, projects from the early 90s, the new standards project or America's Choice work on school design uses standards-based learning and we're picking up those strategies but adding to it the technology that gives students tools that they haven't had before. Pearson Foundation has developed this project yourself. Why wasn't someone else doing it and then you funding it. What was the importance of you as Pearson Foundation doing this project from within? The publishing companies have focused on the marketplace. And so they develop elementary curriculum, they develop middle school curriculum, they develop high school curriculum, and there it's course by course for sale to districts. There is no assumption that a school district would adopt an entire panoply of programs from a single publisher. That rarely happens, in fact. And therefore, that 
doesn't provide the kind of coherence from K through 12 that we think is absolutely essential if you're going to get kids to these new higher standards. So coherence was a major issue. We'll develop it from K through 12. We'll build it grade by grade so that we know what will happen before, what will follow that, and it will be a coherent structure. That means that if a student in a class in grade six is actually in working at grade three level, the district can pull some modules from grade three and use those to supplement the education that the child's getting in grade six. We always want them dealing with grade level expectations, but on the other hand, if you're three and four years below grade level, you need supports, you need that background knowledge and information that somehow you missed if you're going to be successful. And it's the same thing in mathematics. If you're suddenly being asked to work with ratios, you have to understand fractions. And if you've missed fractions in fourth or fifth grade, then you've got to go back and do some of that to ensure that you aren't held back from understanding rates because your problem is with fractions. And that's the way the whole course is. And in fact, that's one of the major challenges with students being ready for algebra is they've missed pieces along the way and if you missed fractions, you can't do algebra because that's a large part of, of being able to manipulate formulas is you have to have that firm understanding of when you multiply, when you divide, how you get common denominators, all of those things that you should have learned at an earlier point. And if you didn't, you can't skip it. You've got to go back and pick it up. So this provides this coherent system that enables teachers and students to go in at any point, and continue forward. I suppose the hopeful goals looking down the road, let's say, in five or ten years are multifaceted, but would one of them obviously be higher PISA rankings? It would be. It would be a recognition that our students are able to do the kind of problem solving that PISA requires. And that's one of the reasons why I think PISA is the important exam and not TIMS. TIMS gives kids worksheets, kind of the way they got them in class. PISA says take everything you've learned inside school, outside school, and apply it to solving real world problems. And these are often cross-content problems. So it's not just use your mathematics or use your knowledge of science. It's bringing all of this together. And then use your knowledge of uh, reading and writing to be able to respond, because again, it's not a multiple choice test. Students have to construct their responses. This is a measure of the kinds of skills students need in the real world. And that's why we're hoping that this leads to better skills and that would be reflected on examinations like PISA. Susan, I'm just thinking of the impact you've had, not just on this particular project, but education. If someone looked at your, your resume, you've been assistant, secretary of education, a counselor, consultant, chief academic officer. When you were a student at Vassar, did you say, I want to grow up to be a superstar educator? I knew from second grade that I wanted to be a math teacher. And when I was at Vassar, I had the opportunity to get into computer science because IBM was right down the road and sent people over to teach us. So I got that dual background in mathematics and in computer science early on and have used both of them. I think part of it is, no, you don't imagine what's going to come next, but you make sure that whatever it is, you're prepared for it. So finding the right time to go back and work on a PhD, for example, when I met the right person who had this world vision 
that was exciting and that's not common in people who are superintendents and work in school districts. So it, it's always been kind of jumping into something, starting a department of technology, starting a high school for engineering profession, starting this project. It's always a, a way to, to keep myself as a learner as well as being able to take the experiences that I've had over the years, what I've learned from those, and apply it in a new situation. Susan, where can people learn about your work at both the Pearson Foundation and also just the various projects that are going on? The Pearson Foundation has a website, pearsonfoundation.org, and it's readily available and has information about all of our projects on it. Susan Sclafani, it has been a pleasure, and we look forward to seeing this project roll out to very much success. Thank you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.